Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Karstensen is continuing a series on women of the Bible. This is part two about Miriam, where we hear the first song recorded in scripture where Moses and Miriam sing praise to God for delivering them from the hands of Pharaoh's army. It's the first time in their entire lives that they experience true relief and freedom from oppression. And the same is true for us once Jesus saves us from our sins. It's a really cool story. Also, as part of the Something to Say series, we'll start the message with someone's testimony. We hope you find it encouraging. Now, here's today's message. Hi, my name is Stephen Campbell. I've been attending Northwest Hills now for almost a year and a half. My story is one of brokenness, followed by years of me trying to fix it on my own, um, and finally realizing that I am not qualified, and that the only one who can bring true healing to brokenness is Jesus Christ. So I was raised in church. My father is a pastor. My grandfather is a pastor. I've always known church and the Bible and and God, and and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. But There are some subjects that people in the church that I grew up in and a lot of churches don't talk about and they didn't talk about my family and um, one of the big ones that was incredibly taboo was the subject of sex. When I was uh, six or seven years old, uh, I was molested by actually someone in the church. But because sex wasn't talked about ever, I didn't say anything. But then I also didn't know how to ask for help because then that confused me in a lot of ways and I ended up becoming angry with God and I walked away and I completely gave myself over to all of these addiction and desires that I had Um, and my entire childhood was lived in, it was two lives basically, there was the side where I fed my addiction and I lived in shame and it was just a constant cycle and there was the other side, the one that everybody saw the one where I was a good Christian pastor's son. And somewhere in the space between those two lives was a lie, something that I came to believe about myself, which was that there was something intrinsically wrong with me. Like I knew that everybody had a sin nature. I knew that Jesus Christ died for that, but it didn't make sense to me that I belonged to him and I still struggled with this unless maybe God made a mistake when he made me and there was something about me that wasn't the same as everybody else. I started to struggle with depression. Depression, if you don't, if you've never dealt with it, then it's hard to understand and the only way I can think to explain it is that depression is a thief. It steals your ambition and your drive and eventually it just steals your will. I stopped taking care of my body. I stopped taking care of my relationships. I had lost 40 pounds in six months because I wasn't eating anymore and I wasn't sleeping. And I was completely emotionally dependent on my best friend. He decided he had enough. He told me in no uncertain terms and very unexpectedly, um, he wanted me out of his life. So my whole entire world just came crashing down in, in one text message. It was like the room was spinning and the floor was gone and I was just falling and I was scared and I was in so much anguish. I rushed over to another friend's house because I was afraid to be alone. And on the way there, there was a voice in my head that kept telling me to crash my car. 
kept getting louder and more convincing, telling me the pain would stop. It would just take a few seconds, just crash your car. But by the grace of God, I made it. I didn't crash my car. My friends were there. They looked out for me. And the next weekend, I was in church at a Saturday night service because I didn't know where else to go. I was still in so much pain, like there was so much despair that when everybody stood up to worship, to sing songs, I didn't even have the strength to lift my head. And God spoke to me. Um, and for maybe the first time in my life, I heard him completely clearly. There wasn't a doubt in my mind as to who was talking to me and what he was saying. I knew it was him. And he said simply, Stephen, I had to let this happen. Just like a bone when it's broken, if it's not set properly, it gets worse, not better. And the only way that I could get your attention, the only way I could set it right and start the healing over was to let your friend break your heart here at your lowest point. So will you let me heal you? And I don't remember giving him a specific answer, but I know in my heart I surrendered to the process, to his process, to his healing then and there. And it was like peace that I had never once in my life. I grew up in church. I've been saved since I was a child. But for the first time in my life, I truly surrendered. And true peace came into my life. And I, the pain was still there. I was still <laughs> brokenhearted. But the Lord was with me and I was okay. And I'm, I'm still on that journey of healing. And there's been times where I want to quit. Because it feels like, shouldn't this be over by now? Um, and the Lord reminds me every time of the promise he made to the Philippians through Paul. He said, I began a good work in you. And he's talking to me, to you, Stephen, I began a good work. And I will complete it. And I'll complete it for my son, Jesus Christ, when he returns for you. Um, and that hope is what keeps me going. If you are struggling with something, shame or sin, whatever it is that you feel you can't talk about, you can. Um, I suffered for 20 years because I didn't think that it, I could talk about the things that I was dealing with with anyone. And the truth is, God and His church are the places where you're supposed to talk about it. And you can talk about it. And that's the only way that things are going to change. Good to be here. If you got a Bible, uh, we'll be in Exodus chapter 20 today. Um, if you are kind of following along with our journals, which I would highly encourage you to, uh, you may have looked ahead and you may have seen, man, we are in one verse today. Uh, this song is one verse. How is he going to preach on one verse? And I've been wondering that for a while. Uh, so this is, this is a, my best attempt at one verse and this is actually the first song that's ever recorded in the Bible. Uh, I don't believe it was the first song ever sung. I, it just seems like unlikely, but certainly the first song ever recorded in the Bible. And the Bible has some 200 different songs. And, uh, and we're going to see Miriam, uh, the, brother, or the sister of Moses. We met her last week. I'm going to share a little bit more about her, but we're going to see uh, how she sings this song here today. Um, how many of you just by nature you like singing. Raise your hand if you like singing. Okay. Any, any dudes in there? Couple? Yeah. Yeah. There's some dudes. All right. All right. JJ, where'd you go? You see, you see those hands? That's good. Worship people. Not all of us love singing. Um, 
I have an awful voice. I don't really like hearing myself sing. I'd rather talk than sing. Uh, some of you can appreciate that, or maybe you're just laughing at me, Tim. Um, but the reality is, like, we're commanded, if you know who Jesus is, like, we're commanded to sing, and we're invited to sing. And my hope by the end of the day is that not only would we see this as one of those obligatory, like, yeah, you should do this, but we would, we would have a desire to respond to God through singing, uh, because we are, we're told here the first words, sing to the Lord. And so uh, if you could, would you stand with me? We're just going to open up this one uh, little song from Miriam. It's Exodus chapter 20. I got it up on the board. Um, when, so Exodus 15, 20. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's good. I made it through first hour. We'll go again. Let's go. Exodus 15, 20. When I'm done, we say, this is the word of the Lord to honor God's word here. And then we together say, thanks be to God. So here we go. Exodus chapter 15, verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grab a seat. Now, for some of you, uh, you're very familiar with this story. There's a lot of reason to sing. You get it. You, you understand the whole history. It makes a lot of sense. For some of you, uh, this is pretty new to you. You have no idea the story. Uh, I would encourage you to go back. If that's you and you don't know the story at all, go back last week. If you were not here, I preached on the life of Miriam. Uh, and so for the next number of weeks, we're preaching on the life of a woman in Scripture. And then we're going to preach her song kind of what, how God worked in her life and what she had to say about it uh, in this theme of something to say. We're looking at what she said, but uh, we do need to know a little bit about her life uh, today to understand why this song is so significant. And again, I gave you the kind of the full picture last week, but I'll give you just a little bit of a recap this week. So we meet Miriam when she's really young. She's somewhere between seven and 10 years old, and she's living in what we would call less than ideal situation. She's living under slavery, uh, 400 years of uh, abject slavery, abject poverty. Uh, you, you can't imagine life. I cannot imagine life there. And so she's there and, and we in, were introduced to her when she's literally placing her three-month-old brother uh, into a basket, into a river uh, in the midst of infant genocide. Uh, the Pharaoh had commanded that all baby boys would be killed out of fear that this nation would rise up and fight against them. And so here she is. She's like, God, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do this. And she puts her baby brother in the river. And man, we, we learned and, and we observed and we've thought this week um, that, man, God really does and can and will work through the hardest of circumstances Right? And, and genocide is the worst of circumstances, certainly uh, hard to wrap your mind around, but God is still faithful in that, which should speak to us in some way. But um, So here she is, and uh, then her baby brother is found. He's found by one of Pharaoh's daughters. We have to assume that he had many daughters, many grandkids, so Moses kind of gets adopted in, whatever that looks like. I do not know. The text doesn't tell us. Uh, but he's raised in the home of his enemies, which is a weird reality. And he's there for 40, uh, just about 40 years. And, and then he leaves and he goes to another country for 40 years. And those 80 years, we don't know the relationship that Miriam has with her brother. Uh, we don't know if Moses comes back and visits the family. We don't know what that's like. If he's uh, sending emails or text messages, we don't know. We can assume that that didn't happen. But we just don't know. 
Um, and Moses comes back and he comes back in a profound, powerful way, right? Moses gets this word from God that says, I'm going to use you to free my people. And, and he does, and he frees them in this fantastic way through these miraculous 10 plagues. And, uh, and I believe, and I believe scripture supports this and I'll give you my reasons why I believe Miriam was with Moses through that whole process. Uh, I believe that she very much had a part to play in the freeing of God's people as uh, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, I believe, were working with Pharaoh. And I believe that for two reasons. Number one, about a thousand years after the story of Miriam, uh, Micah chapter 6 verse 4 gives us a little recap of what was happening here when God was freeing his people out of Egypt. And he mentions Miriam by name. Uh, We read this in Micah 6 4. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. I don't feel like it would have made sense for Micah to mention Miriam had she not been a part of what was going on. So I think it's fair to assume that. I I think another reason why uh, it's a a pretty good conclusion to assume that Miriam was with Moses was that uh, the verse that we just read when we all stood up, it started out saying that Miriam was a prophetess. Now, because she's described in such a way, we can assume that she had a role that was far more significant than what the text just described uh, in one sentence, right? We can assume that she had a whole life of influence and leadership because of her role here that we just are not privy to. We just don't know what that was like uh, in terms of reading it from the Bible, but we can assume that her first act of prophetess isn't the moment that she gets up and sings. We can assume that she has a prior role of leadership. And so uh, I think it's important. I think it's important for understanding the depth of her song that she was very much on the end when it came to freeing God's people uh, out of slavery with her brother Moses and her brother Aaron. And so we get this story where these people are finally freed, uh, but it's a weird freedom. Uh, it's a weird freedom primarily because their enemy is still alive. And this is going to make sense when we get towards the end here. But you have to believe uh, this nation is walking out of Egypt and they're walking with whatever stuff they can carry. And they kind of did a smash and grab, if you will, at the end where all the Egyptians were terrified of them. They grabbed all their stuff of value and then they leave. But they leave behind an enemy who's furious, who's angry, uh, whose firstborn son had just been killed along with all of his other officers and friends and all their firstborns. Um, So it's not like Israel's leaving under great circumstances. It's not like the Pharaoh's like, you know what? Those 400 years, I just really appreciate it. Um, Here's a good benefit package on your way out. You, you go, severance and all. Like, that, that wasn't necessarily the feeling. There was hatred and anger. Uh, there, there was, I believe, a desire for retribution. And we're going to see how that plays out here in this story. So Israel leaves, uh, and we don't know exactly uh, where they go at first. They're wandering a bit. Uh, God doesn't take them to this incredible new country with Uh, as we would describe it in the Bible, flowing with milk and honey, he takes them to the desert. Uh, And before they get to real freedom on their own, they're wandering. And and we don't know for how long. Uh, Most people assume that they're wandering somewhere between a month and a year. And it's at that about year mark, most likely, where they find themselves on the edge of the Red Sea. So think of this as a massive 
uh, ocean-like sea, and they're at the edge here. And again, still in the back of their mind, they're like, we left under less than ideal circumstances. There's an enemy that is still alive who hates me back in Egypt. And we're just kind of wandering around here waiting to see what God's going to do. And word gets back to Pharaoh. It gets back that this people that left him uh, are, st- are, are camped out near the sea. And, and he gets this idea. Now I want my revenge. Now I want to go get them. And I want to bring them back. And who do you think he'd really be after in that scenario? I have to believe he's going, uh, you know, most wanted posters got Moses's face on there. It's got Aaron's face on there and it's got Miriam's face on there. I have to believe that. Uh, and I have to believe that the intentions of what that return would be, would be anything but pleasant. And Miriam's living under this and Pharaoh has a plan. And the Bible also tells us that God has a plan with Pharaoh. Um, there's some theology you can wrestle with. Is this Pharaoh's own volition? Does he want this to happen? Or is this God uh, in his desire making this happen? And I believe the answer is yes to both of those. Um, but we'll see as this plays out. Um, we're going to pick it up. I believe the verses should be up here. This is chapter 14, starting in verse 5. And this is all preceding this song of Miriam's as they cross the Red Sea. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. So they made ready. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. That's important. All of them. This is everyone. This is full send, send all the military and overtook them and camped at the sea. So they're right by the sea and the army is coming right at them. And so there's this giant kind of face off moment. When Pharaoh drew near, this is verse 10, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. Yeah, no kidding. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they cry out and they cry out. They're angry. They're upset with Moses. They don't have a lot of hope here because they've got to see behind them an army in front of them. And they're thinking, all I've got in front of me is nothing but return trip back to slavery with all kinds of abuse between now and then. They said to Moses, it is because there are, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, and this this next two sentences is so crucial, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And there's, there's something to this. Um, seeing that I think is so crucial to Miriam understanding God's role in her life and what he does in saving them. Um, This is an enemy that they, you know, they lived under, they were very familiar with. 
Uh, it's an enemy that even under freedom, freedom, their enemy was still alive. And God says, hey, from this moment forward, you will never see them again. Stand firm. I will fight for you. All you have to do is be silent. As the scene unfolds, uh, the angel of the Lord, which some people believe is pre-incarnate Christ. Um, I'm not sure what I believe about that. Um, an angel of the Lord, whatever that means, came between the two armies or came between the Israelites and the army. And it said there was a pillar of cloud that was between them and there was light. It was as if it was day uh, where Israel was and it was dark as it was night uh, where the Egyptians were. And in, the, in that moment, God parts the Red Sea and a few million people walk across on dry land. And this dry land is said to be as dry as the desert. And so they're walking across and when they get to the other side, they look back and uh, the cloud is gone uh, the ensuing army is after them. They're in the midst of the Red Sea and God tells Moses to call the waters back and he does and the waters come back. And we read this in verse 30 after seeing the entire Egyptian army killed. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Again, I think that, that seeing is so important. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And it's right after this that we get to our key verse. We get to our song that Miriam and Moses, they burst out into singing after seeing their enemies dead on the seashore. Uh, this song begins with Moses singing. Uh, he sings uh, kind of the entirety of chapter 15. I, I preached a sermon on that back in 2020. I actually thought it was pretty good. I went back and listened to it this week, pleasantly surprised. I was like, hey, we'll take it. Uh, I thought, can I, I actually asked Lisa, I think she was here first. I said, can I repeat this sermon? I've never done that before. Like, I thought it was pretty good. And she gave me the green light, but I was like, oh no, we'll, we'll, you can go back and listen to that. But uh, so Moses starts out the song, uh, Miriam repeats it. Uh, I, I think she probably repeated the whole thing, but the scriptures just have her repeating the first verse. But Moses begins and he says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. And then you jump to verse 21 and Miriam says the same thing. Sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. So why are these words the first words that are spoken? Why are they important to Moses? Why are they important to Miriam? And why should you and I care, right? We're 3,500 years removed from this incident. What impact does this have on my life? Why should I care? I, I think it's at best important to recognize um, that while this story is historical, while it all happened the way that it's described in the Bible, it also happened uh, as a representation of salvation for you and I. Right? Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the opening verses there that our freedom, that me believing in Christ, that me being set free from sin and death is represented in this nation being freed under slavery in Egypt. And so this, this moment has a lot to say about what it means for you and I to have faith in Christ and to be free from an enemy that was once very much alive that would very much want everything uh, for us to fail. And we're going to see the impact of, of this song for us in our faith today. So number one, Miriam says, sing to the Lord. Now, again, some of us by nature, we like singing. Some of us can't stop singing. I've got a kid like that. Pray for me. Um, I got a mother-in-law like that too. Love you dearly, Sharon. You, 
Uh, but some of us, it just comes out. <laughs> We're going to go with the third hour recording this week. Uh, let me go. They always ask me, which hour do you want? So that's good. Remind me. Um, some people just sing. It's just like this overflow. And, and, and some of it, it's like, it's joyful and it's spiritual because there is a real joy in the Lord. And, and we live that out. Some of us, like, we're just, I'm not just great at singing, I don't just really want to, but, but we should. The reality is we should, right? That's why we do it every week at church. We should sing. And we should because it's a, it's a response to recognizing our freedom. Uh, that when we have been saved by Christ, uh, the, the death that we were owed has been paid for and we have new life. And, and that should evoke an emotional response in song. And life is like that. Like when you get something great, when you receive a gift, it should evoke response, right? You ever given someone a great gift or received a great gift? Like you should respond. You should respond in a thank you, in a card. If it's like a really, really good gift, like you should burst out in like really thank someone, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like you give your kids something they've always wanted and they just jump up and down. They're like, I'm so excited. And this is, this is that moment here. This is that moment for Miriam. Uh, if you've ever been in a moment where you, you feel like your life has been spared, um, you will literally yell with cheer and elation, thanking God. If you know him, uh, I, I remember one time I was driving and I was visiting my, what was girlfriend now his wife in, in uh, San Diego, I was up in orange County. I was with a friend and we were driving down there and, uh, and I'm on the four Oh five and some car comes like three lanes over, almost hits me overcorrect, spins back and starts like this massive, probably 20 car pileup that I just see in my rear view mirror. And I remember just thinking, I remember not thinking, yelling like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, saving my life and help all the people who just got in this massive car accident, <laughs> right? Like it just evokes out of you this response. I've got another hypothetical scenario. Um, let's say that you were driving uh, a 2016 uh, Ducati Multistrada motorcycle and let's say hypothetically you were going 120, 130 and, uh, and you're leaning into it pretty hard and you hit a pretty big rut in the road and you feel like, like I am just going to be filleted all over this road for the next 500 yards and you power out of it and you're fine and you just start screaming in your helmet, thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> hypothetically, um, <laughs> hypothetically, you, you get off the bike uh, and your body is shaking and you're just like, I'm alive. And I'm going to count that as a good thing. Um, hypothetically, I think that would happen. Um, we sing in response. Miriam gives the reason they're singing. And she says, for, for he has triumphed gloriously. They, they just saw this, right? She just sees this this absolute miracle of all miracles. It's, it's an unbelievable miracle too, right? We read the story and it sounds fairy tale esque It doesn't seem like a real thing that would happen in real life. Like you're telling me a few, first of all, just moving a few million people, like that feels miraculous by itself. Like you ever tried to get in and out of a stadium with just like 50,000 or 100,000 people, let alone like a few million I remember going to the Coliseum when SC and UCLA would play and it'd be like, it takes six hours to get into the thing. Like, how are you moving a few million people? And let alone you're moving them, oh yeah, through an ocean that you just like opened up. Like that doesn't feel possible. And that's the point. 
Like, that's the whole point of the story, is it's not possible unless God does something miraculous. Like, our salvation is not possible. It's not a feasible story. It's not a feasible story that the sovereign God of the universe would see me and would see you. And they would say, you know what? You're worth the death of my son. And I'm going to send them, and they're going to suffer the most unbelievable death for you. Like that's, that's not a very believable story in some ways. It's, it's too good to be true. And, and yet, that's the story of God's love for us. And it's seen in this moment where God parts the Red Sea, and you look back and you're like, that's, how can you believe that? And God says, that's, that's how much I love you. I'm going to give you everything. Miriam's got something to say because of it. Um, it's our whole theme, something to say. It's, we say something because God has done the unbelievable. And then in this last part, and I think this is important, um, Miriam says, the horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. And this is a theme I keep coming back to. I keep coming back to. When um, you and I are saved, we're saved from an enemy that we once were living under, right? And that is sin, and that is death, and that's eternal separation from God. And I think some of us, like, we can live in fear that, you know what, maybe that old enemy is coming after me, right? And we can live in fear. I know some of us live in fear that, you, you know what, maybe I can lose my salvation, or maybe um, I, I, I've got an enemy that will come get me someday, or I've got a past that will haunt me someday. And, and this story parallels the freedom that we have in Christ that, what you were enslaved to, like that's dead and gone forever. Like that's on the seashore. Like there's no guilt, right? Romans 8, 1, right? I mean, it's so clear. You think about um, the freedom that we have and you think about there, now there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Right? There, there, there's nothing that will come after me again that will keep me from God's love, right? And that's that freedom that Miriam finally felt. Like, you know, I've... I've I'm, I'm certain that that was probably the first night of full sleep that she got in maybe a year. She's like, okay, my, my enemy is gone. Like, they're never coming back to get me. My abuser has died, right? And for us, that abuser of past sin and shame and guilt and an eternity away from God, like, that's gone forever, which should lead us again back to the first thing that she says, and that's to sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. I think, um, I think about singing to the Lord and I think about um, the barriers to that. I think some of us have a barrier of singing to the Lord in that like we just, we've not, never been saved. We've never actually said the words, Jesus, I need you. God, I'm sorry for my sin. And so we don't really have a lot to say there. Man, if you're in that spot, the invitation is simply to say, man, I recognize that I have a need for you, that I cannot do life on my own, that I have rebelled against you, and I am sorry. Thank you for your life and death. And you'll have that freedom moment, and you will want to sing. I think for a lot of us, though, when it comes to singing, I think we, we forget Miriam's words here, that he has triumphed gloriously, and we get stuck on ourselves. We get stuck on, I have a hard time singing because I, I'm looking at myself all the time. And what do I mean by this? Um, a few weeks ago, maybe even like a month ago, I don't know, a while ago, I was driving through Southtown and I saw a, I'll just call it a peculiar sign. Um, it's on a weed shop. Some of you who live in Southtown, you know the sign that I'm talking about. It's a sign that says, God is good all the time in front of a weed shop. 
And I got a lot of mixed reviews with that when I saw it. I had some people at first hour like, I took pictures of this. Um, they're like, see, they love Jesus. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. But um, I see that sign and, and my heart just goes, I feel like I'm at odds with something that I like the message. But I mean, I grew up in like the weed capital of the world in Northern California. And so I've got a long history of recognizing that weed destroys way more than it helps. And I'm very much against that. And that's, we can talk about that later. But, um, and, and so there's something in my mind going like, how can we proclaim something that is true while also doing something I believe that God is not happy with over here? And I'm thinking about it more and more. And I'm just like, okay, well, let's, let's like up that ante a little bit. Well, what if I saw that same sign in front of a strip club, right? And, and it says, God is good all the time in front of, you know, whatever strip club. And I'm like, I, I, would, feel a, I would feel an offense to that. And why? Why would I feel an offense to that? I would feel an offense because there's something in the back of my mind that says, how can I praise God when I know I'm doing things that I shouldn't do? And then as I'm chewing on this all the last couple of weeks, I'm also thinking, you know what? Like that same line of reasoning, I think trickles down into our lives. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us have things in our lives, all of us, where we go, you know what, God's probably not pleased with this part of my life, and therefore maybe I, should be, maybe I should be embarrassed to sing. Maybe I should be embarrassed to proclaim, because if you really were to look at my life, you would see things in my life that God's not super happy about, right? Maybe some of us here, we, we struggle with pride, and God hates pride. Maybe we're not the spouse we want to be, or the kid we want to be, or the student we want to be. Maybe we have ongoing addictions, like whatever it is. And I think if we're not careful, we can take those things and we can have this idea that because I'm not even who I want to be, how can I have something to say? How can I tell other people about this when I'm not even who I think I ought to be? But what Miriam does here is she recognizes that it's not herself that she's praising. It's not herself that freed herself. It's God who freed herself. For he has triumphed gloriously. See, I think if we get stuck on ourselves and the things that we are and the things that we aren't, I think we'll have a really hard time praising God. But I think if we can get outside of ourselves and recognize, you know what? God loves us in the middle of our mess because he has triumphed gloriously. I think that will lead us to a heart that will sing. I'm going to finish with this one more time from Miriam. And uh, we got a little time. I'm going to read from Psalm 106, which I think just captures the story of the Exodus so well. And the band's going to come up and play. Um, and then I'm going to pray it out here. But listen to these words one more time. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Now I'm going to, um, you can go ahead, however you want to hear this, you can close your eyes, follow along. I don't know. I'm reading Psalm 106. Psalm 106 is this beautiful, powerful summary of the life of the nation of Israel during the time of Miriam. And I think it compels us to respond the way that she responded. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Starting in verse 7, our fathers when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. 
They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. This is that moment when they're saying to Moses, life would have been better under slavery. How could you bring us here? Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known to them his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. And he led them through the deep as though a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Here's where our humanity comes in, verse 13. But they soon forgot his works and they did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and they put God to the test in the desert. They gave them what, and he gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Hebron and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before them to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land. Having no faith in his promise, they murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness, and he would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account. So they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of the sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts, and they played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, But they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress, and when they cried for help, for their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held captive them. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. Lord, um, it is both good and right for us to praise you. 
And I thank you for um, that summary 500 years after the things we studied today, this crossing of the Red Sea, this moment um, where Miriam recognizes that she feared something that was now dead and she was able to fully rejoice. God, I pray that we would fully rejoice. And then tragically, as that page turned and it says, nevertheless, they forsook the Lord. God, I pray that we would be a people who would not forsake you. God, that we would recognize our freedom, that we would not run back, that we would not put ourselves in a place of rebelling against you, but that we would regularly come back and repent. We need this weekly reminder to put ourselves before you and say, God, you triumphed gloriously. And in that, I will follow. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.